Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. Joining us today is Patrick Tian. Patrick is an international speaker, USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, CEO coach, and serial entrepreneur. As the co-founder and CEO of the software company Rhythm Systems, he helps CEOs and their teams develop strategies and experience breakthroughs to achieve their goals. With his book, Rhythm, How to Achieve Breakthrough Execution and Accelerate Growth, Patrick shares a simple system for encouraging teams to execute better and faster. Thanks so much for joining me today, Patrick. Hey, Diane. Thank you very much for having me today. So excited to be here with you. Absolutely. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, what it's like to be a CEO these days. And I'm wondering, uh, I'm curious about what you think are some of the common setbacks that entrepreneurs face like early on in their careers. So I think the common f- setbacks kind of depend on where they came from. You know, entrepreneurs come in all different shapes and colors and different different backgrounds. So, you know, typically if you have a sales and marketing background, I think that a, a common setback would be product disappointments because you may or may not know what it takes to actually get something out the door. Uh, so you, you may have promised things ahead of time that you find more difficulty to, to deliver. And then the flip side is, <clears throat> you know, product-oriented inventor CEOs you may not know how to, you may not be used to getting a hundred dollars slammed in your face or kissing a hundred frogs to get a deal. So you have to grow a much thicker skin. And the last one I would say, which is common to almost all of us that I've personally experienced is people leaving us. I think, um, you know, whether you chose to ask someone to leave or someone cho- chooses to leave, that is a very painful experience the first time it happens. Yeah, I, I can feel all of those actually. <laughs> So um, I'd like to talk about some of the challenges that COVID-19 has created for CEOs. What are you seeing out there? So we have the um, great privilege of of coaching a lot of CEOs through this. And um, I think that what happens to all of us is we have, we, we begin to build our own, you know, I call it the default operating system, how we choose to operate ourselves. And this is built based on our comfort zone. So COVID put us all out of our comfort zone. Whatever whatever you had before, you're not comfortable anymore. And so really, I think the CEOs who, uh, who listen better can adapt better. So I think, first of all, one of the challenges is you got you to gotta listen much, much better to what your people are saying, what your customers are saying. <clears throat> you're forced to listen and then you have to adapt much quicker. I think that most of us CEOs would like to believe we are in control. Uh, COVID really showed us that we're, we're not in control. You know, one day you're at your desk and one of my clients, I remember, uh, he was trying to get his, his people to go home and work. 
but they couldn't get done in time. You know, transition could happen in time. So finally he picked up the phone and he said, guys, I don't understand what's keeping us. I mean, just unplug your computer and bring it home with your monitor. And so a thousand employees unplugged their monitors and, and laptops and brought them home. And he was not in control. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe IT would have said, you know, from a security standpoint, boss, you can't really do that. And yeah. so he did it anyway. And, you know, what happened was the employees all uh, responded with a lot of love. They said, wow, you know, this company cares about us so much, even more so than worried about whether we'll steal our computers or whatever. Oh my God, I can't believe they trusted us to just unplug and bring it home. And so that particular day, everyone went home with their computers and they started working from home. He Now he didn't know if everyone had internet at home. It didn't really matter, but that was that was this particular CEO embraces difficulties and change and understands he's not in control. So just go ahead and do your best and don't worry about it. You're not in control. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that CEOs have with COVID-19. I do too. And it leads me into wondering about um, this whole great resignation and this unstable labor market. Um, how, you know, um, how should they be dealing with this? I, I totally get that they should be listening more. I, I believe that tremendously. But is there a way that they could be actually be using the great resignation as an opportunity? Absolutely. I, I actually encourage all my friends to think of this as the as the great re-engagement or the great rejuvenation, not the great resignation. The reason why I say that is, you know, nobody really wants to resign. Yeah. We really don't. What we are doing is we're running towards our passion. So what has changed is I think COVID has uh, gotten a lot of us to think that, you know, the world looks very different when, when, when you worry about death tomorrow and you're not sure what's going to happen to you. So if you think about early stages of COVID, we didn't know how bad this pandemic would be. We didn't know if it would be controlled. You know, I have, a, I have an aunt who had all kinds of demands on on her kids that she wanted. And then when COVID happened, he, she said, you know, Patrick, I've relaxed. I, I've realized that as long as my children are happy and safe, I am happy. So I think we got to realize that, you know, nobody really enjoys resigning. So what's really happening, I believe, is that people are now having the courage to run towards their passion. By the way, that hasn't changed. We've always wanted to work on things we're passionate about, but COVID gave us the courage to say, you know what? Life is unpredictable. Let's just do what we love. So I think it's a great opportunity for employers to help their employees find what they love. I would like to help you find what you love in the firm you're in today. But if you can't, you know, that's okay. I, I want to help you find what you love outside. At the end of the day, I want to help you find what you love in or out. And I think that that's the healthiest way uh, a CEO can view the great resignation, more of an opportunity for the great rejuvenation of having people get passionate about what they do, or as people are running to their passions, maybe finding the right employees who are passionate about what your company's about. So I think at the end of the day, this is actually good because you know you don't want people to come to your company just for a job, right? None of us do. Yeah. We want everyone to come and sign up. Well, I can't sign up if I'm not passionate. So I think actually this is a good thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But it also feels to me like um, some of these CEOs 
need to be willing to um, let go of, you know, some of that control that, you know, we talked about before, because people have changed what matters, to, you know, they, they've realized that the things that matter to them are slightly different than maybe, you know, pre-pandemic. And so if people want to work from home, figuring out what that looks like, you know, just having more of that flexibility, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I do think that the work from home thing is very much what I call a symptom. So in other words, if I love what I do, and if you love me loving what I do, the whole working from home discussion is not that hard to have, right? I think it's more when when we are not as connected or as not engaged, you know, then we worry about things like your work ethic. I mean, if you work from home, are you really putting out the best work? And, and frankly, uh, work ethic to me is not a COVID problem. Work ethic to me, for example, is a people problem, right? So if you're worried about my work ethic, the fact that I'm at home or at, at, at work, by the way, I have to stay, I'll have the same work ethic. You know, people who, who, who love your company, who are giving you 120%, they're going to do that whether they're at home or at the company. And um, I remember reading reading a famous author who used to be at uh, a famous software company. And, and he said, you know, I only really do about eight hours of work a week at work. And that's because I can hide and, and I'm putting out enough code and people think I'm really working, but I'm only really working eight hours a week. So I got bored and I went and started my own company. So that's a good example of someone where you that that employer really failed to tap that person's creativity and joy and passion. And that person was at work. He wasn't even at home. So yeah. the work ethic thing, I think, is part of person. Uh, so I do think that what we do miss, though, when somebody is always working at home, is we miss the collisions. What I mean by that is when you're at work, you bump into each other, you talk to each other, you have unscheduled conversations, which I think are really important for creativity. I bump into someone, he or she says something, it causes me to think about something else, especially for younger people joining the workforce. I have a daughter that just entered the workforce literally 1st of August. You know, she's in Seattle and it's her first, her first job. And, and she said to me, dad, you know, I want to go to the office because I want to meet people and, 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 and uh, you know, people that can help me, I can help people. And so she is a connector. She understands that, that relationships matter. And I encourage her to really go to the office, you know, regardless of what the hybrid policy is, because if you want to find people that could help you in your young career, uh, you bump into mentors, people who want to help you. And I think, you know, if, if we start work as a young person, purely, purely virtual, we miss that opportunity because now all your meetings only happen if they're scheduled. Yeah, boy, I, I completely agree with that. I think that is such a great point. And does it really, at the end of the day, does it really matter how many hours someone works as opposed to um, the results that they realize? That's a really good point. I think that, uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of people understand that, what you just said, that it's really a productivity of performance. Uh, if you get the job done, why do I care whether you're here six hours or eight? You know, unfortunately, we have patterns built into our brains that go all the way back to the agricultural age, you know, where yeah. you got to attend the fields. You got to be there eight hours, clock in, clock out from the agricultural fields to manufacturing, clock in, clock out. So I think that, um, 
we have to understand that uh, productivity is about getting your work done. So I think most people understand that logically, but I think a lot of people still struggle with how does that translate to the right work habits? Yeah, I do too. Right. It, it's really an interesting thing. I think we, we've gotten this belief system that we pay people for time when, you know, that's how we equate it when really what we're paying them for is that they are, you know, getting their job done plus really, you right. know, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, the um, joke, uh, you probably heard this joke that the, uh, this consultant walks by a car that's broken down and the guy asks, says, you know, I've been here for, for, for a bunch of hours now. I can't get my car to start. Can you help me with this? And the guy looks at it, spends for 15 minutes analyzing the car and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Press this thing here, push this button, the car starts. And the guy says, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. How much do I owe you? Yeah, this is about $3,000. And he goes, whoa, $3,000 for like 15 minutes of your time? And the guy says, no, no, no. $3,000 for knowing what to touch to make your car start. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That, that is exactly it. For if, if people are listening, they're thinking, okay, yeah, you know, I get it, but I still have to be able to hold my team accountable. I still have to be able to know that they're getting those things done. What suggestions do you have? So a few thoughts, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll share a couple of thoughts. The first is about yourself, myself, I should say. The second is about having a system to allow yourself to be the best that you can be. So starting with yourself, I, I, I jokingly tell all my clients and friends that, you know, the fish rots from the head down. So if you're the CEO, uh, you're the head. So what that means is if you have any challenges at work, uh, whether it's your culture or, or, or accountability, let's start with you. You know, you gotta start with yourself. You gotta be accountable. You gotta be vulnerable. You gotta be transparent and human because those are the kind of people that, folks want to work for. But more importantly, if you are accountable uh, and transparent, then you can say to people, hey, this is how it's done. You know, I'm going to be accountable. And here's how I like you to be accountable. And together, we can now together build, you know, a high performing team that performance, by the way, comes from accountability. So nobody likes accountability. I mean, when I do a workshop and I say, hey, you know, let's do a, a workshop on accountability. I don't get very many takers, but I may say, hey, let's do a workshop on, on high performance. I get a lot of takers and really high performance has accountability as a foundation. You can't have high performance without accountability, but, but nobody wants accountability. Everyone wants <laughs> high performance, right? So I think, first of all, it starts with us. We, we got to put that accountability gene into us. And then secondly, I think you then have to create the right environment and framework that allows you to thrive with accountability you know, so I, I believe that having the right rhythm sets you free. You know, if you if you have a weekly rhythm where you kind of look at what you're doing and be accountable to your team, you know, you, you kind of have that. Then you have a quarterly rhythm to, to kind of sign up to the right priorities that you're accountable to. And then an annual rhythm to get your plan done and your strategic moves done. If you have those rhythms, now you have a framework that allows you to create an environment of positive accountability versus negative accountability. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, 
but my life. Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. Uh, will you say more about the positive versus the negative? What does that look like? So here's how it works. You know, when someone calls me up and says, Patrick, you know, I, I'm having trouble with James and I need you to show me how to help make him accountable. Usually that's a bit too late. Usually what that person really means is, how do I fire James? That's what he really means. That's not what he's saying, but that's what he's really, he, he's frustrated. He wants to get rid of James and he wants to hold James accountable and then take him out. So I would say, before you, so really he's talking about consequences. So I would say, you know, before you get to that point, a positive place of accountability is one where you have an, a process that helps people understand what is the common purpose that you have. Let's sign up for the common purpose of this particular work. Not necessarily to hire like purpose of a company. We got to do that too. But I'm talking about, hey, if we're doing this project together, what's the purpose of this project, you know? And then the second thing is, what's my role? What's your role? Do we understand what the outcomes look like? You know, Stephen Covey taught us to begin with the end in mind. So do we know what the end here is that we want? Begin with the end in mind. And then as you go along, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coach you and help you understand what to get done, what not to get done. This is an accountability process. So I call this the chain of accountability, or we actually have five steps. We call it the five C's of accountability. So we do this in the final the final item is consequences. We want to make sure that people understand both the positive and the negative consequences of that job being done well or not being done well. So that's a full accountability chain that starts with the beginning of, hey, this is why we both care about this, all the way to here, here are the positive and negative consequences. And I think that I've seen really help a lot of people achieve better performance, you know, because Diane, I know very few people. Actually, I don't know anyone that wakes up and says to the significant other, you know, hey, honey, I can't wait to go to work today and mess up and make my boss mad at me, right? I mean, nobody wakes up, goes to work and chooses failure by choice. We all want to succeed. So I think, first of all, this whole accountability thing is really begins with a misalignment and misunderstanding of, of purpose and, and role and job. Now, if you... If you're dealing with someone who's who just doesn't want to work, that's different. That's the HR problem. You know, that's a human resources problem. And we've got to resolve that. But by and large, we're not. By and large, we're dealing with folks that that somewhere somehow didn't work out. And I don't know why, but whenever, you know, Jim Collins, I think, taught us a level five leader, when you see something wrong, you should really first look at the mirror 
versus look outside at, at your employees. So, so step one is look at the mirror and say, well, how can I help in this process of accountability of helping people understand the full chain of work here so we can all be successful? Well, I, yeah, I, I always think that um, a lot of struggles that companies have are rooted in um, communication issues, you know, either a lack of communication or um, poor communication, you, you know, just people don't really understand what's expected of them and what the consequences are, positive and negative, to, you know, when, when they follow through or don't with those expectations. Right. And then and then we don't talk about it till it's too late. Right. So in other words, yeah. we have a minor issue here, but we don't talk about it. We don't communicate, as you pointed out. And so now this thing becomes a big elephant, bigger elephant. And so, you know, then people, we ask the question, right, how do you now we have a huge seven ton elephant in the room. And how do you now solve that problem? And people always say, well, you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I suggest that I'd rather not eat an elephant one bite at a time because that's a lot of food. I suggest we eat the baby elephant, right? We eat the baby elephant uh, and, and you've avoided the seven ton elephant. Okay, so I'm so glad that you just said that because that speaks to having those tough conversations. So will you share some about how business leaders can embrace those tough conversations? Yes, so I call these spicy conversations spicy conversations. I, I call these spicy conversations because um, I'm from Singapore and this is one of my favorite foods is, is, is this dish called laksa. I just had it this week and, and it's very spicy and, and, but, but you enjoy it, you know, you, you, it, it tastes good, spicy, you just keep drinking water and, and you enjoy it. And uh, the spicy conversation is kind of like that. I, I feel like I need to have a conversation with somebody. Oh my God, it's going to be spicy. I'm start, I start sweating. I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't want to have this conversation. I'm sweating. But it's going to be good. I, I got to have it. Uh, I got to clear the air. I, I got to have this spicy conversation so that we will perform well together. Uh, and so, you know, I kind of mentioned the the elephant thing just now. Mm -hmm. It's all connected. I first, I think people need to psychologically prepare themselves that the reward is great. So I got to first be motivated to have that tough conversation. Um, and, and the motivation to me is that, look, if you can have this spicy conversation, you avoid that elephant becoming big. You've eaten the baby elephant and you've solved this thing for a few years out and you've saved all your time, money, resources, and emotions. So first, I want to really inspire the person to, to now have the courage to go have that, 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 that conversation with the radical candor that they need to have. That's the first thing I would say. And then I would say, Secondly, you got to look at your culture to see what you're doing that inspires and allows that. For example, if you say to me, Patrick, when something goes wrong, I want to hear the truth. I want to know what's really going on. And I say, Diane, you know, I got this problem with this project. It's not going very well. And the first thing you do is you yell at me and you say, Patrick, that's crazy. Like, how can you do that? How can you let it get so bad? Okay, that's probably the last time I'm going to be truly yeah. honest with you, right? So your culture needs to allow that. So if you if I said to you, hey, I've got this project, it's not going the right way. It took a lot of courage to, to do that. I would say the first thing you want to say to me is thank you, Patrick. Thank you. So to me, good news is, sorry, bad news is good news. 
bad news is good news because bad news means you told me something that can now go fix that ultimately is going to be a train wreck. So I can have more time to fix it today or I can end up with a train wreck tomorrow. So I think you got to have that future vision and thank people for bringing you these issues that are going to potentially end up in train wrecks because you now have more time to, to fix them. So I think that, you know, so in summary, first, you've got to inspire and have the courage to have the conversation. I would say, secondly, you've got to give me the environment, the culture that allows me to have a conversation. And then the third is you've got to have some tools to allow me to do that so that I know how to do that. I really appreciate that. It's funny. I was just thinking about a conversation I had this morning with um, a client about where something has gotten to, and it's because she, you know, wasn't focusing on the baby elephant. She's focused, you know, and so now she's having to deal with the big one. So that that that's a really good. Yeah, you know, like like at our company, we have one of our core values at Rhythm Systems is. We call it no TDC, and TDC stands for thinly disguised contempt. So no thinly disguised contempt. And what that really means is what we want you to clear the air. If something isn't going right, and you know the reason why I have this core value is that my very very first company, I noticed that my programmers um, started aligning themselves to natural teams and self-selecting. They want to work with certain people. But I got all these, they're all smart people. So I was wondering what was going on. And I began to realize that some of them had disappointed each other. And instead of having the conversation to clear the air and to say, hey, when you didn't check your code in properly the other day, it caused me problems. I started having thinly disguised contempt for that guy. You know, we'd be nice to each other, but I really don't want to work with you. And so, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of screwing up multiple times. This is now my fourth company. So I've, I've had the privilege of screwing it up a few times. And, and so now this company, we've got a call value that says no TDC, which is a really fun way to say, you got to clear the air, man. If something isn't going right today, you've got to clear the air so that your relationship is clean. Uh, so our, we try in our culture to promote that tough conversation, that spicy conversation. Uh, maybe you'd now take the risk to take that conversation, the courage to have that conversation, because you know that, this firm's core value includes this no thinly disguised contempt thing that promotes that, right? So now, now that's like giving you the environment to say, hey, this is not just this is not just allowed. It is welcomed. You know, thank you. Yeah, that's terrific. Thank you so much for that. Um, I I love this information. I think it's really empowering for the, you know, the founders and CEOs and business leaders out there um, to really know that even though sometimes it feels like, you know, we're not in control, we can take control. We can have control by being willing to have those conversations and um, not see them as difficult or challenging or that they're going to have a bad result kind of thing. Yes, yes. I mean, the, you know, really what we want to do is be a little bit more proactive, right? right? So the difference between proactive and reactive in our world is just a little bit of future vision, just a little bit. So what we do is we, we try and help people achieve their dreams. That's, that's my purpose. That's my company's purpose. And so we have a framework 
that allows you to engage frequently, choose and do the right things, and then you know have a few of the right key performance indicators so that you have a bit of future vision. When something isn't going quite right, uh, there's a process for you to engage quickly and be more proactive. So if I can just help someone be a little bit more proactive, I think that he or she will be significantly more successful. Yeah, for sure. So speaking, with, so first of all, Patrick, let me you know say thank you so much for spending this time with me. And will you let the listeners know, you know, how they can find you and your company and, you know, whatever you feel like they should be aware of? Yeah, the best thing to do is come to my, you know, patricktn.com website and that kind of directs you to my company and other resources and and we're here to help you. I uh, I actually got very motivated to do this, you know, 20 years ago when this article was out by uh, Ram Sharan Fortune magazine on how CEOs failed and the bottom line is that CEOs fail because of a lack of com- of achieving their commitments. And so we really want to help people succeed, achieve their commitments on the on the operations execution side. Got it. Well, thank you. That, that is tremendously valuable work. And as I said, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.